meditation, which I find both helpful and reassuring. And it's that meditation is simple, but not easy. And that may well capture the experience of many of us in the practice of mindfulness of the breath, which has been our main focus in the retreat so far. The intention is very simple. To focus on the movements of the breath and simply to return to that focus each time the mind wanders. And the simplicity of it is stressed. But in practice, we find our attention carried away frequently, persistently. Something seems to stand between us and the simplicity and clarity. Sometimes it's no more than a passing thought or physical sensation that or sound that triggers an association of memories and thoughts and carries us away. And we can come back quite easily and let go. Other times, there are some more persistent and insistent visitors, mind states that seem to come and take over our attention, making it very difficult to be with the bare experience of the breath in the moment. And since the time of the Buddha, five of these mind states in particular have been recognized as problematic. (coughs) They're called the five hindrances and their sense desire, aversion, sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry, and doubt. And it's really important to remember that these have been recognized and described for the last two and a half thousand years in all the experience of everyone who's ever meditated. This is part of the territory of having a mind. It's very easy to identify with these and see them as our own personal problem. But seeing them for what they are, simply as universal phenomena that arise in certain situations, can be immensely helpful in dealing with them more skillfully. So the fact that many of us were very tired, exhausted yesterday, this is simply a function of the first day of an extended retreat. And seeing it in this way can be immensely helpful, hearing other people's experiences. So one of the additional interests of the practice today is to recognize the presence of these hindrances and to be able to relate to them more skillfully. Now, the word hindrance often suggests that this is something that's just peculiar to meditation. You know, these are unfortunate obstacles which we just have to get around and then we can get on with the business of meditation. In fact, these are very, very central mind states that stand between us and our true nature, between the inherent peace and higher happiness that Christina has touched on. So that 
in working with the hindrances, we're not doing something that's just peculiar to this strange situation. This is for life, and it's one of those situations where there's a very direct generalization from what we do here in the meditation hall to our life outside. So learning to recognize these hindrances, learning to relate more skillfully to them, can be immensely liberating and freeing for us when we return to the wider world and for our patients and clients whom we see. So what I want to do is to describe each of these hindrances a little so that you can recognize it when it comes up. Because that's really, for the moment, the primary strategy for relating skillfully to it, to know it for what it is, a mind state that is unhelpful. Not me, not reality, not a sign of anything necessarily wrong. It's just a mind state. And once we've recognized it, once we've named it, we can investigate it, get the texture of it, particularly in the body. Aversion feels like this. Sense desire feels like this. And just continue to mindfully investigate it, knowing it for what it is. There are, if you like, remedies or antidotes one can use skillfully in the face of each of these hindrances. But the danger of using them is that we then simply get embroiled in another hindrance. So that you know, if there's aversion and we're using loving kindness in the spirit of getting rid of it, then we're just adding aversion to aversion. And so there's a very tangled web we can begin to weave. So for the moment, I would advise the best strategy is simply recognizing it, naming it, investigating it. This was the technique the Buddha himself actually used. He, in his, the way the story is told, the hindrances were embodied in this somewhat demonic figure of Mara, who would appear from time to time. And rather than engaging in a wrestling match with Mara or struggling in debate with him, the Buddha's way of dealing with him was simply, I know you, Mara. I see you clearly for what you are. And as soon as the Buddha was able to do that, poor Mara just shrunk away and huddled off back into the shadows. So it's this power of clear recognition, seeing it for what it is. So, so you know them a little better when they appear. Let me run through them quickly. The first one is sense desire. And this is the hindrance where we just get carried away into daydreams, fantasies. They might be of a sexual or romantic nature, but they can be much more mundane. They can be just sort of thinking of how nice it would be to get back home, to be able to watch the television, or thinking, planning a holiday. It's when we find ourselves dwelling on these thoughts, carried away into them, that we realize that we've got lost in sense desire. And it's quite a seductive hindrance because it actually feels quite pleasant at one level. So it's very important to remember that this is actually taking us away from the moment. It's carrying us away from the path 
that is going to take us to a higher happiness, a greater freedom, so that it is something that we need, however pleasant it may feel at the time, just to let go of and come back, to know this is sense desire. The second one, aversion, is probably the single most important hindrance as far as our clients and patients are concerned, because this is where we respond to an unpleasant feeling with ill will, with wanting to get rid of it, with wanting to destroy it, with wanting to push it away. Um, And in doing so, of course, we add negativity to negativity. We just pile on more suffering to the original unpleasant feeling. And this mechanism of aversion is the one that can get us trapped in persistent emotional states, unpleasant emotional states, because, of course, we can then become averse to the aversion, and the whole thing can escalate. So one way we can know this very clearly, partly it feels unpleasant, but also there's a great contraction in our bodies and in our minds. Our minds just contract down, and our bodies feel tense and tight. We can feel the bracing, the resistance against it. We can recognize our own bodily pattern of aversion and soften it to some extent. But again, just knowing this is aversion and getting the texture of it, investigating it, in itself is an immensely skillful response. The third one um, has really played center stage yesterday, uh, sloth and torpor which you get the sense of it from the very words. And it can be this very heavy, you know, this sort of the posture collapses, the head goes down, the eyes are tired, and one's asleep. But it can also be a much more subtle sense of dullness or even just sort of these vague tendrils of fog drifting into the mind, clouding the clarity of our consciousness. Um, And of course... This can make it particularly difficult to use the main strategy of mindful recognition and investigation because the very tool that we need to investigate and recognize is being taken away from us, our clear awareness, our attentiveness. There are a number of very practical things we can do about sloth and torpor. Um, We've touched on some of them. Open the eyes, sit up more straight, take in a longer in-breath and hold it so there's more oxygen coming in. Standing up. Standing up is a real gift both to oneself and to everyone else. As Christina pointed out, it's more difficult to fall asleep standing up. And the more people we can see standing up in the room, the more it helps other people follow that path, both to combat sloth and torpor, but also to deal with physical discomfort. Mainly, at this stage of the retreat, sloth and torpor is probably reflective of just straightforward tiredness, and we normally get through it. But there's a very interesting aspect to sloth and torpor, the dullness, which is that of numbing out, screening out from something we just don't want to know about. And in many ways, this is a protective mechanism of the mind if there's something threatening coming up. And this is a really interesting one, and this is where it really pays off trying to get the effort together to attend to it, to investigate it, to see what's lurking underneath. Um, It's often, I think, the reason why our clients 
fall asleep in the body scan, is that it's sloth and torpor, this sort of shutting down in a protective way that is standing between them and experiences that they fear either in the body or that are just arising as they settle. The fourth one is restlessness and worry, and we know this through the agitated state of the body or mind, the sense that something dreadful could be about to happen. We may not know quite what it is, but we may have this sense that we've got to do something, we just can't sit still, but we don't quite know what it is. There's a very sort of agitated feel to it. And it's helpful to know here that it's actually the thought streams, the worries that keep it going. So if we can come back into the bodily experience of it, to work and relate to it through our bodies, to come back to the breath, that can be really helpful. And the final hindrance is doubt and skeptical doubt. And this is actually the most pernicious because it can undermine the whole practice of recognizing it as a hindrance because it's basically saying, what's the point of this whole endeavor? It doesn't seem such a good idea now, um, or maybe it's a good idea for others, but there's no way in which I can do this. Or these teachers, they really don't know what they're talking about. Um, it's this sense that um, it's all wrong. It's, you know, why would I put my effort into this when, you know, there's so much that's to doubt about it? Um, and it can be a very difficult um, hindrance to deal with because it can seem so plausible unreasonable. But if you just think back to your own previous experiences of doubt, for example, my own and many people I know, learning to train in, in mindfulness-based approaches. I mean, frequently I doubted, I'll never be able to do this. You know. Inquiry, you know, I'll never be able to master that. And looking back and being able to see now that those were simply thoughts. It was a mind state that came to me that I carried on and indeed I can make a fist at doing an inquiry and doing MBCT now. And similarly, if we look back to our previous experience of other retreats, other situations in life, where we've been convinced that it was pointless, and looking back, we can see that was just a mind state. So our focus for today is to continue with the foundation of the breath. That's our anchor that we always have in the background. We've already extended it, our awareness, around the breath in the pre-breakfast practices with John into a wider sense of the body as a whole. So it's this particular interest in body sensations both in the breath and in the body as a whole that is really the foundational focus of our mindfulness for today. And if we wish, we can have a particular interest in recognizing and investigating the hindrances as and when they occur. To name them, to investigate them, to know this is how it feels. So we'll take um, a brief moment to settle ourselves in now, as well as 
the sense of the body and the breath, we'll also be including sound because in this tradition, all the sense doors, the five senses, are seen as a reflection of the body. And sound has this beautiful quality of setting us up in a way that we can just receive in an open and spacious way whatever comes to us. So we'll begin with sound and then take that way of relating to experience over to the breath and to the body. And as and when hindrances arise, we'll, as best we can, recognize them for what they are. Just mind states. So, settling in to a posture of alertness, Relaxation. Just softening any obvious areas of tension. Sensing the contact of the buttocks, the cushion or bench or chair. Feeling the touch of the hands. Now taking our attention to the ears and opening the awareness to receive sound. Sounds that in the ear. And that afar. Letting go of any need to go looking or searching for sounds, just receptively open to any sounds that enter awareness. if you can sense the arising of particular sounds. Sense the passing of waves. 
background sounds that seem more or less uniform, seeing if you can sense any variation within them. sense that the mind has started thinking about sound, just gently returning to a focus on sound as sound. Opening the awareness and listening to the silence between sounds, the stillness. receptive to whatever arises in hearing. No need to do anything with sounds, just letting them enter awareness, welcoming them, receive them, and let them pass away. Now, if you wish, bringing that same quality of attending, that open, receptive awareness to the sensations of the breath. Receiving the sensations of the in-breath. Giving the sensations of the outbreath.
sensing the arising of the in-breath. The passing away of the out. open and receptive to the breath sensations. And bringing that same quality of open awareness and receptiveness to sensations throughout the body. Sensing the life within the body. Our sensations arise, linger, Sooner or later, pass away. best we can, continuing with this receiving of sensations of the body and breath as our main focus, and being particularly interested in any hindrances that may carry us away from this simple focus.
sensing the quality of attention in this moment. We're not clearly, fully present with our experience of the body and breath. Perhaps seeing if we can recognize any hindrance that's here. Recognizing it aiming it, knowing it for what it is, sense desire, aversion, growth and torpor, restlessness, worry, doubt. Letting the state of your body, the state of your awareness, alert you to the possible presence of a hindrance.
find it helpful from time to time just to touch back into sound to refresh that sense, that quality of open, receptive awareness. Is aversion present? Is there any sense of contractedness in body or mind?
sense of not wanting. Above all, remembering the importance of gentleness, kindness. Letting our awareness receive and welcome all experience. Ego struggle. As best we can. Embodying that quality of kindliness in our awareness.
So we go into our day with this ever-renewed commitment to being present, something that we renew our commitment to being present in each step, each movement, each transition. I just want to just say just a very few words about how we're framing the practice through this retreat and something we'll expand on a great deal, but much of the practice that we're doing here, engaging in here, really derives from a discourse called the Satipatthana Sutta, which is really bringing mindfulness into what are called the four foundations of mindfulness. Mindfulness of our body, mindfulness of feeling, mindfulness of our mind, and the fourth foundation, which is really a kind of a map of awakening, a map of investigation. As I say, we will talk about these quite a bit more over the time of the retreat. But what's really important to acknowledge is that when when this teaching was given about the cultivation, the development of mindfulness, it's not only the four foundations of mindfulness, it's developing that within the four postures, standing, sitting, walking, lying down. And what's really pointed to is this kind of seamlessness, this, this, this valuing of the way that we're present in all things, that somehow sitting is not, you know, the kind of holy grail of meditation. Our life is where we're really invited to be present. And mindfulness is really saying that everything matters. You know, how we get up from our seat is as important as what happens when we arrive at our walking path. And, you know, I'm kind of well known for nagging people about continuity, you know, because it just makes such a difference. It just makes such a difference. You know, and you know, notice on the schedule, you don't see break listed anywhere. You know, oh, we'll be mindful. Oh, we'll have a break. You know, it's really a good question to ask, what are we doing in the breaks? <laughs> and it's often a kind of, it's often where we entertain some of the most kind of pernicious habits of our lives in the breaks. <laughs> It's not really a break, is it? It's kind of like self-torture. So really sustaining the continuity. And, and in the sittings, as John was talking about, you know, developing this capacity for mindful hearing. Mindfulness of the sense doors is really part of mindfulness of the body. How we see, how we listen, how we taste, how we touch. All of this really part of the kind of mindfulness of the body and it, through the sense doors, through bringing that kind of receptive, connected attentiveness, we actually cultivate much of what I was talking about last night. Spaciousness, gladness, you know, it's a sense of, of ease and well-being and connectedness and also really seeing how we sometimes misuse our sense doors, you know, as kind of like a, Prowl, prowling the world in order to satisfy some of the mental states, the hindrances. So really bringing that mindfulness into our sense to us, to see well, to hear well, to touch wholeheartedly, to taste wholeheartedly. Really seeing how that aspect of the body, mindfulness, really so much is not only gladdens the mind, but actually connects us to the world around us. 
Continuing with the walking practice, focus it, you know, when the mind feels more distracted or scattered, often really helpful to keep it simple. Focus just on the, the footfall, the touch of the feet and the ground. Mind and heart feels more spacious, more, more grounded. Expand that awareness in the walking meditation to be mindful of your entire body as you walk. Letting yourself move in that expanding, focusing, really the responsiveness of the moment. Um, we have some groups today, if you haven't already checked the notice board, which I think is highly unlikely, please do so. Um, <laughs> uh, and if you would uh, come to your groups fairly promptly, the rooms that our groups are in are up the main staircase and turn right. Um, and I wish you a very rich day of practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.